0: Um, um, sisterhood, sisterhood, we're taking over Yamato's. Yamato. Who likes hibachi? hibachi. Yum! E. It's fun to watch them cooking in front of you. But we're taking over August 29th at 11.30 in the morning. Not 11.30 at night. My carriage turns into a pumpkin about 9. So y'all will be there by yourselves. But um, 11.30 in the morning, August 29th, we're going to meet at Yamato's. And then there was mention of maybe a trip over to TJ Maxx or Burlington or some fun shopping or something like that. So mark your calendars and set aside the time. It's going to be loads of fun. So are you hungry for the word tonight? How many of us walked humble this week? Did we have a different perspective of what humble looked like after... Um, after last week, looking at how humble Jesus really was. He just continues to fascinate me. And as I was prepping for this week, um, it, this week we're going to talk about rest for our souls. And we're going to read out of Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Are you tired? <laughs> yes, I am. Why, yes. Yes, I am. In fact, this last couple weeks have been so busy between cross country and band camp and the other cross country and golf and getting kids wherever they needed to be and you know actually working and prepping messages and different things there were a couple days I wondered did I did I brush my teeth today no no I did not brush my teeth this morning I'm so sorry to everyone I came in contact with but you know it just is the way it is sometimes are you tired are you worn out burned out on religion come to me jesus said get away with me and you'll recover your life i'll show you how to take a real rest walk with me and work with me watch how i do it learn the unforced rhythms of grace i won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly and i've been reading and meditating and reading this scripture for the last several months just because that take a real rest it just it was so much what I needed and I really wanted to look at what that really meant so walk with me work with me watch how I do it Jesus said and he was talking to the disciples he was talking to the people that were actually literally right in front of him they were physically with him so they could watch him they could right next to him work with him the disciples walked with him everywhere that he went they did side by side work with him but we can't do that can we the way that we walk with him work with him and watch how he does it is by reading the gospels by reading the epistles by reading what the prophets and the different ones in the old testament wrote about jesus that's how we learn from him that's how we watch how he does it so that's what i've been doing reading through the gospels and that word rest means to stop to restrain to quit desist refrain refresh and to take an intermission easy means better good gracious and kind that sounds nice doesn't it and the word light means easy to bear So if you read those words, rest, and easy, and light, it can get the impression that it's kind of effortless, right? Come on, come rest. This is light. This is easy. Put your feet up. Just relax. And Jesus wasn't necessarily talking about rest necessarily for our bodies, although that's important. If you read through the Old Testament, and read about the Sabbath and his desire for people to take a Sabbath and what the penalty was if you didn't take the Sabbath rest. If you were caught working in the Old Testament on the Sabbath day, they could stone you. Now, I'm all for let the punishment fit the crime, but that seemed a little stern to me. But I think God knew our tendency to be workaholics, (laughs) to find our identity in what we do, and to just want to work, 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 work that he had to institute the Sabbath for us to keep us healthy and whole and strong. But when he's talking about rest here, he's talking about rest for our souls. He's talking about rest for our minds, our will, our emotions, our heart. He's not just talking about rest in our bodies, which is important and necessary. If you don't rest your body, trust me, your body will rest you. Okay? We could go off on, I don't know how many tangents here. I don't know how many men of old that I've read after, like Hudson Taylor and different ones who would go, 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 and not sleep and only get a couple hours of sleep a night. And then after five or six or seven years of that, they were out of commission for two years just because they had to rest. You can't defy the natural laws and just expect nothing to happen. We need to follow the laws that God set for our bodies, and he intends for us to rest. But this is really talking about rest for our souls. It gives the impression that it's effortless, that if we walk with Jesus, work with him, and watch how he does it, it's just this effortless glide into being just like Jesus. It won't take any effort. If we just spend time with him, it's just all we need, no effort. Except for I think Jesus even exerted some effort, right, in the garden, When he was distressed and anguished and praying and sweating great drops of blood. I've never worked so hard that I've sweat blood. I've sweat, but I've never worked so hard that I sweat blood. Or how about Paul, who would beat his body, put it under. There's some effort involved, right? My grace is sufficient. Sufficient for what? sufficient for what you can't handle it's not necessarily saying that it's going to be effortless to the flesh what it's saying is that you can do this it's doable it's bearable because it's light because his grace sustains it so we're going to look at what this rest really looks like by looking at Jesus Jesus lived like this the busiest person to ever walk the face of the earth. Nobody gave out as much as Jesus did. Nobody managed as much as Jesus did. Nobody put up with as much as Jesus did. Nobody was tempted as strongly as Jesus was. And he managed it all with poise, with balance, with rest, with peace. You never see him agitated other than that one time in the garden. And we're going to look at that. You never see him stressed. He doesn't snip at the disciples. right? He stays at rest. He stays at peace. He stays in rest in his soul. So as I was studying this, I started to think: Where does unrest in our souls come from? And there's a couple of different things that we're going to look at him over the next couple of weeks. But the first one that I thought, I thought, wow. I started to kind of compare myself to Jesus, which is a good thing to do. We don't compare ourselves to others; it's a-okay to compare yourself to Jesus because he's who we want to be like. And I started, you know, noticing some things that were lacking in my life that he had. But then there was one huge thing standing out that I noticed that he didn't have that was prevalent in most people's lives. And I thought, hmm this could be something interesting here. (laughs) Because we all are unrest. He's at rest. We have this. And he does not. And guess what it was? Insecurities. You never see an insecurity pop its ugly little head up or come out of the mouth of Jesus. And all that an insecurity is, is believing lies about yourself. And we're going to look at this aspect in different angles of this aspect tonight. We might bring out a couple different things also along the way in Jesus, our example. But this is a, the crux of it tonight. Jesus knew who he was. Insecurities are believing lies about yourself. And here are some prevalent ones. You're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not funny enough. You're not skinny enough. You're not tall enough. You're not short enough. (laughs) You're not rich enough. You have too much money. (laughs) You have. You're not likable. You're not lovable. You're not worthy. You're not, you're not, you're not this. You're not that enough. First of all, enough for who? But who can relate to any of those statements? Have any of you ever thought any of those? I can raise I do a small group every now and then on overcoming insecurities. And I had somebody look at me one time when I said, I'm gonna do this small group, and said, well, you, you're not really qualified to lead that. Because, you know, they thought I had it all together. Always. And uh, I could share my story, and if I have the small group again, I probably will. There's no time for it tonight. But I grew up riddled with insecurities. Just because of my childhood, because of my background. <laughs> I was insecure about my looks. I was insecure about my personality. I was, you name it, I was insecure. I wasn't enough in any way for anyone in my own mind. And do you know how much unrest that causes? Is there peace in your soul when you're insecure? It causes anxiety, doesn't it? Insecurity is simply the result of not knowing who you are. Jesus knew who he was always. He acted on who he was. He believed in who he was, and he didn't waver about who he was. And we're going to look at some different aspects of this. In Genesis 3, 1 through 7, this is the very first time we see insecurities in the word. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Pause. Eve added her own little rule in there, didn't she? God said, don't eat it. Eve said, I can't eat it or even touch it, which is good. If you don't touch it, you can't eat it. But I just wanted to throw that in there. We do that a lot. (laughs) We do that a lot, a lot, a lot. There were more rules in Judaism than there ever were in the law by hundreds. So we just want to keep that in mind as we move on. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Well, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And this is why men don't listen to their wives. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) No. (laughs) Could be, but no. The serpent said to her, God knows that your eyes will be open, and you will be like God. But what did God say when God created man? I'm going to make them in my image and in my... So was Eve already like God? She was already like God. Insecurity entered in. I'm not good enough the way that I am. I'm not smart enough. I need to know something else. Instead of being confident in who God made her, like him in his image and in his likeness, she believed what the enemy said more than she believed what God said. She ate the fruit and brought unrest to all of creation. Insecurities are nasty. Say yuck three times. Yuck, yuck, yuck. 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 But Eve fell from the trap. Eve believed the lies and there was no more rest in her soul Before they ate the fruit, they were happy. They were walking with God in the cool of the day. They were ruling in the garden. They were doing their work. They were doing their thing. They were naked, and there was no shame. But as soon as the insecurity entered itself in, as soon as she ate that fruit, there was shame, there was guilt, they hid from God, there was no longer peace. There was no longer rest in their soul. And when you yield to insecurities, it can make you do weird things. Weird things. Not only that, but insecurities can hold you back from the purpose of God on your lives. Because you'll think, I can't do that because I'm not. Or smart enough. Or rich enough. Insecurities are nasty. And that's one thing about our Jesus is that he knew who he was because he knew who he belonged to. Jesus wasn't confident in his flesh. Jesus was confident in whose he was. Right? Just like Paul was in prison in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. He's, getting re- he's writing his final words to Timothy. He's ready to be martyred at total peace. He said, I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to keep what I have entrusted to him until that day. How could he be at rest in his soul facing death? Because he knew whose he was. Because he knew whom he believed. Jesus knew who he was, and he knew whose he was. How many times did he say, I am in the Father, and the Father's in me. I don't do these works. It's the Father in me that does the works. When we're confident, not self-reliant, Jesus wasn't self-reliant. He even said, I'm not good, you call me good, there's no one good but God. Because he knew in the flesh, flesh is flesh. He had to control his flesh. He wasn't self-reliant ever, always reliant on God, but he knew who he was. And let's look at that. Let's look at some more examples of this. And like I said, these lessons and these teachings aren't necessarily a one, two, three step to something. Something but I really just want us to have a more broadened perspective of who Jesus is, right? So in Luke 2, 41 through 52, we're going to look at some examples of how Jesus knew who he was and how that kept him in rest in his soul. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem, and we looked at this a little bit last week, for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers, but when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house about my father's business? But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, and his mother stored all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. At 12, he already knew who he was. I have to be in my father's house. I have to be about my father's business. At 12, he knew God is my father. I am the son of God. I have a purpose. And he was starting to try to tap into that purpose. He was sitting in the temple. He wasn't where all the other 12-year-old boys were. They'd have found him the first day or the second day. But they didn't find him until they finally looked in the temple. It was the last place they looked. The last place they would ever think of. But Jesus was already knowing who he was and drawn towards his purpose. And we just want to look at this just a little bit differently. Jesus grew in favor with God and man. When he was 12, he went home to be obedient to his parents. His time was not yet come. So he grew in favor with God. Let that sink in for a minute. Every day he grew in favor with God. From the time he was 12 until the time he died, he grew in relationship with God. He grew in the grace of God. He grew in the favor of God. He grew in favor with God and with man. There was a process involved in Jesus' ministry. He grew in favor with God and man. He stepped out at 12, but he went back home to continue the process. Part of that process were the temptations in the wilderness. Part of that pro- process was the baptism that he underwent. We talked about that last week, that how he humiliated himself in that baptism of repentance because he had never sinned. That was all part of the process. He went about teaching and preaching and healing and delivering and setting the captives free naturally. He raised the dead. He cast out devils. He traveled from place to place for three and a half years, teaching and preaching and healing, part of his process, revealing the Father. That was part of his purpose. He came to reveal the Father. He, when, they, when they asked him, show us the Father, he said, have I been with you all this time? And you're asking me that now? You know what? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father I have revealed him to you all this time. That was part of his purpose. He trained the 12. He called the disciples to be with him, and he imparted into them day after day after day, and then he sent them out to practice and brought them back to train them some more and sent them back out and brought them back in, and they walked with him, and they watched him do all of those miracles. They watched his authority. They watched everything that he did. And that was part of his purpose. That was part of his process. Luke three thirty-one and 32. It says, at that time, some Pharisees said to him, get away from here if you want to live. Herod Antipas wants to kill you. And Jesus replied, go tell that fox that I will keep on casting out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And the third day, I will accomplish my purpose. Jesus knew who he was, and he knew what he was called to do. And every minute of his life was part of the process of getting to that final purpose, which was the cross. He didn't just jump out at 12 and die on the cross, did he? He didn't jump after the baptism and hop on that cross. There was a process to it. What would have happened if he would have missed any of those steps? What would have happened if he didn't go about teaching and preaching and healing? We wouldn't know that it's God's desire to heal us. What would have happened if he didn't identify with us in that baptism so he could be a faithful high priest and be touched with the feelings of our infirmities? If we don't go through the whole process, we miss out on some of the steps that are built in that process, the character building, the faith building, the things that God wants to teach us and put in us, and the people that we help and minister to along the way. We can't skip the process. If Jesus had skipped any of those steps, we would have been in trouble. What if he wouldn't have trained the 12? Then who would have trained the next ones, and who would have trained the next ones? What if he didn't let them walk with him and work with him and watch how he did it? We'd have been in trouble. Jesus knew who he was and he knew his purpose and he didn't skip the steps. So we don't need to either. Who gets anxious about the next phase? I just want to get to that next season, God. I just want to get there. Let me hurry up and get there. Oh, I can skip over this and this and this. It's okay, I don't need that we could just hurry up and get there. Well, I recently started running, and I used to be one of those people that if you ever saw anything running, you would want to run too, because there meant there was something chasing me, because running and me did not get along. In fact, I talked to my friend today, who's a runner, and I said, when am I going to like this? When am I going to not feel like I'm going to die every time and every step of of running? (laughs) I go, I need some tips. I need some tips on how to breathe while I'm running. She goes, well, just do what comes natural. I said, well, sitting on the couch comes natural. <laughs> but I have learned a thing or two on my run. I'm doing the couch to 5K. Has anyone heard of that one? Oh, we're all runners in here, aren't we? <laughs> the couch comes so natural. <laughs> um, it starts, it's nine weeks long, and they promise you that you'll be ready for a 5K at the end. And I've actually started this about nine times, and I always quit. But, because it just gets so hard. But the first day, you run a minute and a half, and you walk two minutes. Run a minute and a half, and you walk two minutes. Run a minute and a half, and you walk two minutes. And then you work up to running maybe five minutes and walking three minutes. Then you work up to running eight minutes and walking five minutes, and you gradually work up to where you're supposed to be able to run a whole 5K. Well, Monday I finally did it. I ran the whole 5K. I was slow as molasses, but I ran the whole way. And this is what I've noticed. When I was running short spurts, I could go faster. But the longer the race, the slower your mile pace Right? My son's a runner. He runs fast. His fastest mile is a 542, which is fast-ish as compared to other people. But (laughs) he would more than lap me. (laughs) But he doesn't run a 542 mile if he's running five miles. It pops up to maybe a a seven-and-a-half-minute mile. Because the longer you want to go, the slower your pace needs to be so that you can finish, right? Right, right. So what we're in is not a sprint. If we want to be effective long-term, we need to know who we are and not let the enemy take us out with insecurity. But we have to be okay with the process. We have to be okay knowing that this is a marathon and that it might take us time to get to the end purpose, but that's okay as long as we're walking with him and fulfilling our purpose every day, who cares how long it takes? What does it matter? We need to stop being so wrapped up in these unrealistic expectations of what it should be and be okay with where he has us. Amen? Amen. If you skip steps, you miss out. Jesus knew who he was. Luke 4, 1 through 13. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led... Wait, did I miss a step? Hmm. Oh, no. He was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate, ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said. Because they are mine to give to anyone I please, I will give it all to you if you will worship me. And Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must, not, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up in their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. And let's make a couple notes here that Jesus was led by who? The Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit led him into where? The desert. A hard time. The Holy Spirit led him into a trial. The Holy Spirit took him. What are you doing to me here? <laughs> what were you thinking? Ever been in a situation and go, uh, Hello? This isn't roses and flowers, and what are you thinking? But God had a purpose for this. He had a purpose for what, where he led Jesus in the process. Jesus already knew at this time that he was the son of God. He already knew at this time that he was the word made flesh. He already knew at this time that he was from heaven. He had to have memories of heaven, had to. Because he told his disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning. He knew where he was from. When he said, before he was ready to go to the cross, don't you know I could call legions of angels and my father would send them? He knew what legions of angels looked like because they worshipped him day and night. He knew that they would go at the word of authority that was spoken. He knew who he was. He knew where he was from. He knew who was tempting him because he saw Satan fall like lightning. But he didn't even get agitated here. He didn't need to prove it. We talked about that last week. Humility doesn't need to prove who you are. Pride needs to prove it. And Jesus was humble. He didn't need to prove who he was. He knew he was the son of God. He didn't care that the devil was questioning it. He didn't care who questioned it. Insecurity cares what people thinks. think. Insecurity is what care, who cares what people think. When you're confident in who you are and what God has called you to do and who he is in you, it doesn't matter who tells you it's impossible. It doesn't matter who tries to come against it. It doesn't matter what trial you walk into. You're going to have rest Up here. Because you know who you are, you know who called you, and you know who will finish the work in you. That's where rest for our soul comes from. It's not dependent on outward circumstances. Jesus was at rest in the midst of being tempted by the devil because he knew who he was and whose he was. And he knew the word When the enemy tempted him, he knew exactly what word to put on it. We need to know the word. And can I just say we need to know it for us? The word is a mirror, not a window. Let me say that again. The word is a mirror. It's not a window. It's not me looking through it at you saying you need to fix this. You need to fix this. Jesus didn't use the word as a window. The, we're not supposed to fight people with the word. Who did he fight with the word? What did he use his sword against? And our battle is not against flesh and blood. It might be a person looking at you, but there's a spirit behind it. <laughs> and we're supposed to use the word as a mirror. Not a window. When the woman was caught in the act of adultery, did Jesus use the word as a window? Mm-mm. He extended love. He didn't condone the sin. He didn't condemn the sinner. He just loved her. Right? So he used the word against the enemy. We need to know the word. We need to know who we are. We need to know who he is. It's so important to know what the word says about you, right? Right. And to believe it. It's not enough to know it. We need to believe it more than we believe the lies of the enemy. And when I have my small group on insecurities, we sit in a little circle. And the first night I give homework. And the homework is that every day this week you look in the mirror and say, I am beautiful, pointing at yourself. She is beautiful. I am beautiful, and I have actually had people come back to my class and say, "I couldn't, I couldn't do it." That's how much they believe the lies of the enemy. That's how much they believe the lies of the people that spoke over them all those years. I used to have people tell me I was ugly all the time. I believed it for a long time till I saw in the Word that the house of the Lord is beautiful. His dwelling place is beautiful, and guess what? I'm his dwelling place that automatically makes me beautiful. Doesn't matter what anybody thinks of this. Doesn't matter what I think of this. I am a dwelling place of the house of the Lord, and he has made me beautiful. Right? Mm. We need to know who we are, because it gives rest for the soul. Luke 4, 16 through 24. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. I would love to hear him read the scriptures, with you? Man, the anointing that would come out of that. Mm. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently, and then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Jesus found himself in the word, and he believed what it said about him. I mean, how, how cool, how cool was it to be Jesus learning? I mean, in, in Israel, they had to memorize the first five books of the Bible, but they had to read all of it, you know. And how cool to be reading and go, "Ooh, that's about me. <laughs> oh, that's me, that's me, that's me. He'll come as the rain. Oh, that's me, that's me, that's me. I mean, how, he would have had it all highlighted. It's all him. <laughs> but he found himself in the word. That's how he knew who he was. He found himself in the word. And we can speak positive things about ourselves all day long. I'm strong. I'm powerful. I'm beautiful. All those self-help, t- self-help CDs and books and stuff. Just speak positive. But positive doesn't change lives. It's the word of God that carries the power and the anointing to change your life. It's good to speak positive rather than negative, but it's better to speak the word because that's what releases the power of God to change you and to change your mindset. It's the word that changes us. And when we, like Jesus, find ourselves in the word, then we're not gonna care what people think about us either. He didn't listen to what people said about him. Because if you read on, it says, everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can they be? How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? And then it goes on and he says, you know, you're going to quote me the proverb, physician heal yourself. And he went on and on, kind of condemning them a little bit. And then it, they were furious with him. At first they were amazed and then a couple minutes later, they were furious. <laughs> but But he found himself in the word and because he did. He didn't care what people said about him. Isn't he just the carpenter's son? You know, in Mark 6, it said that he went to his hometown and preached to them. And they said, we know him. Isn't he Joseph's son? Isn't he the carpenter's son? And they didn't believe him. And because of their unbelief, it says he could there do no mighty work. Because they didn't believe what the word said about him, he couldn't do anything. And you think, well, Jesus could do whatever he wanted. No, Jesus responded to faith. And because they didn't believe the word, they got nothing. We get what we're expecting, we get what we believe. There's a rest in your soul if you know who you are. Luke 8 22 through 25. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and started out. As they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. But soon, I love that he took naps. Mm, That's a great example. I think we should all go home and take a nap tomorrow. (laughs) Jesus is our example, by the way. And he took naps, and so we should too. I used to tell my kids all the time, you're going to want to take a nap one day, and you're not going to be able to, so get in there and take it now. (laughs) Store up for later. And now my 16-year-old, he likes to take those naps. I said, see, mama knows. As they sailed across the lake, Jesus settled down for a nap. But soon a fierce storm came down on the lake. The boat was filling with water, and they were in real danger. So they weren't just exaggerating. They were in real danger. The disciples went and woke him up shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. Suddenly the storm stopped and all was calm. And then he asked him, uh, where's your faith? Which I find interesting because their faith was in him. They went straight to the master. Isn't that what you would do? Hmm. The disciples were terrified and amazed. Who is this man, they asked each other. When he gives a command, even the winds and the waves obey him. Jesus knew who he was. He knew where he came from. He knew his authority. He created weather. He created the earth. He created the atmosphere. He created clouds. He created rain. He created the water. He created the materials that made the boat that they were in. He created it. He knew he could tell it to stop and it would have to listen. And so he was at rest. He was sleeping. You only have authority over the storms that you can sleep through. We get to put this into practice all the time. Because I sleep through some storms. And then sometimes, anybody ever been up in the middle of the night cracking a, breaking a sweat because you're so trying to figure something out and worried and distressed about something? Anybody? Last night? <laughs> preached an amazing message. I preached myself happy on Sunday morning about how big God is and what he can do and what he's capable of and how amazing he is. And last night at 2.30 when I woke up and I was trying to figure something out in my head and couldn't get back to sleep, there was no rest in my soul. I was trying to figure well, if we do this, then this will happen and we can do this, and we can shift this, and we can move this all around. And you know, the Holy Spirit whispered in my ear, Do you believe that I'm bigger than that? I'm like, oh, I just said that Sunday. That sounds very familiar. He goes, (laughs) just because you can't figure out how I'm going to do it doesn't mean I'm going to do it. I'm like, ah, that sounds familiar too. We get to live what we preach. And it's so easy to fall back into flesh. So easy, especially when you're tired. Jesus was tired. He was taking a nap, but no way he fell into flesh. As soon as he saw the wind and the waves and the fear of the disciples, he's like, be still. His peace wasn't determined by what was going on out here. Mm -hmm. And there can be chaos raging all around, and we can still have peace in our souls. It's our choice. Where is your faith, he said. Why are you afraid? Why are you worried? What? Don't you know who I am? Peace, be still. And the storm stopped. saying, you can have peace, even though there's not peace out here. Our choice. We need to stop believing the lies more than we believe what he said. We need to stop believing what we can see and what we think and can understand more than what he said. That's when we have rest for our souls. He knew he had authority. We need to know our authority. And there's a rest in that. Ephesians 1, 19 through 23. Paul wrote this. He said, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, he is far above, say far above, above. all and any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the one to come. God has put all things, say all all things, under his feet and given him authority Over all things. He's made him head over all things for the benefit of the church who fills all things everywhere with himself. So who has authority? Over what? All things. All All principality, all power, all might, all dominion, every storm, every trial, every sickness, every disease, there's nothing that's over all but Him. He has the authority because God seated Him in heavenly places over it all, right? Ephesians 2, 6 says, For He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms. Say, with Him. With him. I, am seated. I am seated with Him with Him over all principality and power and might and dominion. When he gave us, when he gave Jesus his seat of authority, he sat us with him. We're not sitting next to him. We're sitting with him, right? I have this great big chair that I have my devotions in in the morning, and when my daughter gets up, she comes and sits right on me. She is sitting right with me. She likes to snuggle, that little one, And she's not so little anymore. She's getting a little heavy. But she's sitting with me. She's not next to me. She's not across the room. She's with me. And if he's seated on a seat of authority, guess where we are? We're seated on that seat of authority. We just have to believe what the word says about us more than we believe what the enemy's trying to tell us. The enemy's trying to say, God can't heal that. That'll never be healed. You can speak all you want, but your words aren't doing anything. And my Bible says that life and death are in the power of my tongue. And that if I say to the mountain, be moved, it has to go. Rest for our souls. You know, faith is a rest. When we believe him more than we believe the lies of the enemy, you're at rest. You're at rest. Jesus always, always responded to faith. We're going to look at that a little more next week. Insecurity waivers, I'm going to read one more scripture. I didn't have it in my notes, so I'm going to open up here. <clears throat> James 1.5 If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking but when you ask him be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty who wavers is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Does that sound restful? Peaceful? No. Why? Because we need to be sure that our faith is in God and not Waver, not go back and forth I'm going to believe the enemy, I'm going to believe God I'm going to believe the enemy, I'm going to believe God I'm going to believe the enemy, I'm going to believe God no how do we get there? walk with him work with him watch how he does it saturate ourselves with him I had a friend who got poison ivy one time so bad that she was all broken out in blisters she called me for some encouragement She said, you know, I spent hours and days on the internet, WebMD and all these places looking at the symptoms and what could happen and what I need to do and what are the treatments and try this and try that. She goes, after days of doing that, the Holy Spirit said, aren't you ever going to ask me what I think? (laughs) She had saturated herself with what the web said. But forgot to ask the one who, you know, <laughs> is all wisdom. Who knows the answer to everything that we need. We can do this. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. We can live a refreshed life. We can live arrested in our souls. Hallelujah. I need it. <laughs> Not perfect in it. Some day I was it's been just so busy, and putting my outline together this morning on living refreshed, I could feel it starting to rise up. I started laughing. I'm like, "How, ironic is that. I'm studying how Jesus dealt with stress and handled it and cast it aside, and it's rising up. But it's easy if we fix our gaze on what He said more than what the enemy said. Then we're going to live in rest. Amen. Can only think about one thing at a time. Can only say one thing at a time. And it's our choice what we do with our minds. Our choice. We can choose to hone in on and agree with what the enemy says, or we can choose to hone in on and only look at what God says. It's not being in denial. We know that the problem's there. But I'd rather look at the answer. Amen? Because that's where peace is, and that's where rest is. Hallelujah. Father, we're so thankful for Jesus that you let him walk among us so that we could watch how he did things, so that we could live like he did so that we could learn how he lived such a balanced, rested, and refreshed life. Now I pray as we leave, the Holy Spirit would go home with each of us and take the parts of this and just break it apart to us so that we can do it, so that we can put it into practice, so we can choose to trust you, choose to focus on you, choose to believe in you, and choose to live a refreshed life. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Are we ready to live refreshed? (laughs) Well, that's all. You're dismissed.